Hi, my name is Irfan Kazimi. I'm President and CEO of Horizon Copper. Horizon Copper is a brand new copper company that just recently launched. And we're excited because over the next five years, we plan on becoming a premier mid-tier copper company. And we've launched a company with three world-class assets. Uh, two of them are in production. Uh, we're cash flowing and they're uh, minority positions held by ourselves run by some of the best mining companies in the entire world and we're hoping to add more assets into our portfolio over the next 18 24 months hey friend thank you for the introduction good to uh hear that you got listed um just by way of introduction can you tell me what the market capitalization is and what the cash position is and what your uh, income is going to be and feel the the revenue this year yeah, thank you for that. Uh, we're just a brand new company, so our market cap uh, is about $50 million Canadian. Uh, but we have an enterprise value of closer to a quarter of a billion, which is uh, through our IOUs of Sandstorm and they're very friendly terms, and we can chat about that later. Yeah. Our revenue, we have one cash flowing asset today on Antamina, and we get a check on a quarterly basis. Net of the streams and royalties on that, that should cash flow about 10 to 15 million US a year. And we're using that cash right now because we have no need for anything else because our GNA is very low just to pay back our IOUs existing now. Our working capital is over 20 million US as of now. So that's the, the cash you got on the balance sheet plus the um, the, dent the kind of the receivable. receivable. Yeah. 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 Good. Um, in terms of the IOU, when you say you're using the money to pay back the IOU, I thought the IOU was a kind of a share-based transaction that you that they were going to convert into share shares as the company grows, and that, that was a relationship sandstorm. Yeah, so it's probably a good overview um, time to give an overview of the, those debentures. They're ten-year debentures, so they're not due for another ten years. Okay. They've got negative yield, so very low interest rates when you combine it, and it's only a few percent. Yeah. Um, Horizon has the option to actually pay back those IOUs at our election okay. um, in shares, subject to Sandstorm not consolidating the results. So you, I would look at Sandstorm as being like a 34% shareholder for a very long time. Right. And as we continue to grow at Horizon, more of those IOUs at our option, we can elect to pay in shares depending if it's accretive for the company or not. Okay, and that 34% was just a, uh, chosen by the boards of both companies to be kind of an appropriate level that they just run in perpetuity. Yeah, it signals that Sandstorm's a key shareholder in the company, key strategic partner, uh, and at the same time, that percentage is determined by two independent boards. So, you know, we have one uh, board cross-ownership of our CEO at, um, at Sandstorm is on the chairman of uh, Horizon, but they recuse themselves and involved in those conversations and stuff. And so the independent board decided 34%. Okay, good. Now, terrible market. Uh, you're, you're here for a, a conference. The mood on the street's pretty, pretty grim. Um, copper price is kind of quite soft. How are your meetings going? They're going well. And the reason they're going well is because this is a type of environment where you want to actually start growing and building a company. You don't want it when copper is already at $6. You want it where um, there's challenges, uh, people need capital, and that allows us to actually build this portfolio. And so in the last year, we've been able to add the three world-class assets, and we're actively looking at a pipeline of adding more of those assets. And so I, I recognize that you know, when you're looking at the mining space, how share prices might be declined. But this is the time when you deploy capital to actually build for the future. 
that in a few years time you can look back and be like how were we able to do that i, I couldn't agree more and well let, let's go into that a bit um there's a point on prices but i'll come back to that in a, in a, in a second um so at the moment cash is king so many junior companies are struggling to raise money you don't you've got the luxury of actually not needing the, the capital um how do you how are you screening um your companies because when you look at a junior company if you take a passive investment at the moment surely you're just opening yourself up to the kind of the stress that the balance sheet is feeling in that company because they'll just you're the only people with cash in the room so they're going to keep coming back to you coming back to you and how do you see other junior explorers not the junior explorer but how do you see junior explorers navigating this few years I and mean, what happens you were in a very fortunate position where we've specifically structured all our investments right now where they're not like a cash drain on the company. Yeah. Um, the only one that's going to destruction next year in our portfolio is Hot Modern, which we own 30% of, which the operator is looking to project finance that. And that's why we've got such a large working capital balance to make sure that we have more than enough capital to, to actually allocate to that. But if I'm a junior company right now looking to raise equity, it's really challenging for them. They have to dilute their shareholders considerably. But they won't come to you. I mean, you're not going to be an investor in a junior company. No, I think when we look at what's in our pipeline, we're finding that there's good assets out there, especially in these minority positions that we're hoping to add into our portfolio, yeah. where there's transactions to be done. Um, we're just diligent in how we're structuring those. Um, what are the potential CapEx exposures by entering to that transaction? Yeah. Um, if they sell us a portion of their project, are they able to fund their respective portion? Right. So there's a lot of uh, calculus involved in ensuring that the capital structure, it makes sense and the project doesn't have an overhang on it. Because I think a, a challenge that a lot of junior companies um, don't realize is as they create their companies, as an investor, why would I want to invest in a company knowing that within six months they need to go raise millions of dollars yeah. and dilute shareholders out. So it was important to us to make sure we didn't create a, a company that had that uh, equity car, uh, capital markets overhang. And so we're very cognizant of that. If any transaction we do, we're not exposed to something that we don't have the funding for. And surely that means that your target um, uh, investments are all at the more advanced end of the kind of the transactional end of development capex or and commissioning capex, that last bit of capital to go to prior to construction, or have I got that wrong? No, I, I think uh, we look at many transactions. Uh, one of our, I think, distinctive elements is we have a breadth of kind of corporate development team, especially on the sandstorm side, that's helping to, to scour yeah. the planet. So we see a lot of these opportunities are happening in our pipeline well before a lot of people do, especially on projects where they might be looking to dispose of a minority position at the project level yeah. that would fit uh, well into our kind of niche space. Um, but right now, we're concentrating on assets that are cash flowing or near construction. Okay. And so that's where our goal is and uh, our outlook. Now, having said that, once you build out that portfolio, you can other, add other assets to it and build the diversification of your growth profile. But what I look at it today, I'm like, we have a cash flowing asset and we've got two assets uh, that are in our growth profile that you don't have to go blow out your share capital structure in order to advance, yeah. which is a great spot to be in. And um, by looking at those minority stakes, you haven't mentioned royalties. Is that because royalties is quite a competitive space um, and you like to come to niche uh, of this quasi-royalty, which is the, a significant project stake, 
which effectively gives you a kind of net interest? Yeah, I, I think the vanilla type transactions you'll see us do are small uh, 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 minority positions in the project. So, you know, 10, 20% of an actual project. And what's key to us is who are we partnering with? You look at our portfolio today and you say, okay, you've got three great assets, but what some people don't realize is those three assets are run by super majors and very large mining company. Yeah. And that was done deliberately. That wasn't by accident. And so um, when we're looking at our portfolio, you can say, well, an Antamina, you own a very small percentage, 1.66% uh, MPI payment that you get, but it's on a multi-billion dollar yeah. asset. Yeah. So it depends on the size and scale of the asset. Kind of, um, what's the angle for an investor here? Because if I look at your share price over the last, well, since it listed, you know, the copper prices come down, but you've actually come down sold off more than the copper price. It's almost as if you're leveraged to the to the copper price and we're coming into a period of weakness. I mean, how do you know, uh, how do you get to kind of um, say, actually, this is what we're worth, this is the opportunity? Yeah, I think it's communicating the story quite effectively. Um, I think some of the, when you look at actually our, our public finance and when we launched the company, uh, the share price is higher than that from when we did it. Um, but more our most recent raise to just close the Antimia transaction, it's slightly down. Um, but when you look at the, the total return, uh, the, the share price movement was based on some um, illiquid movement of some shares, yeah. and you've seen it bounce back uh, as a result of it yeah. because you don't have a lot of people who want to sell their position. So it tends to be temporary. And as we tell the story, people understand, oh, you don't have this overhang over your company. They realize, I understand the business strategy of becoming this well-diversified, multi-jurisdictional, multi-asset um, uh, uh, company, and they see the foundation of these assets that you have to get there, it's not that hard to, to imagine how you do it. So um, we're very fortunate. And could, could you sit back and just actually kind of harvest um, Hotmaden and um, Boy Tolgoy and just say, actually, that's enough, and uh, we don't need to risk anything else, and you, you can just leave that as a, as a kind of standalone entity. I mean, um, is, isn't there a risk that the next asset that you do is not going to be as good because you have, you're not kind of grandfathered into the kind of the sandstorm network? Yeah, I would say that um, we'll still have Sandstorm as a strategic investor and they'll, uh, you know, use their corporate development funds to help us identify assets, but the independent board will make their separate decisions accordingly. Um, you know, when you look at a lot of junior companies, et cetera, um, number of these executives, they don't have large equity positions or they have large salaries in comparison to the equity position. You know, when I did the, the financing, the only shares I acquired in the company were part of the public financing. I wrote my uh, seven-figure check into that. And although we've got tremendous working capital, we're cash flowing consistently uh, based on our recent acquisition, you know, symbolically, I decided over the last year and a half just take a dollar salary a year. And just to, to highlight to people that my interests are very much in line with equity holders. And so if the answer is, don't do a deal because it's better for shareholders. That's absolutely what I would want to do. Yeah. Um, and I think you can look at this story and be like, I don't know if Horizon will acquire another world-class asset. Um, and what happens if it just use all their cash and just pay off debt? What does that look like? Yeah. And I think that's really attractive because the enterprise value is of a quarter billion, but as you pay more of that debt off, 
more of that enterprise value accretes to equity holders. Yeah. And so you get this double whammy effect. And so I think in an environment where you can't do any deals, I think this is this is a fantastic play. So that's the that's kind of the backstop proposition. Absolutely. Um, that then comes to needs flow. Um, uh, now, obviously, if you're working on on deals, you can't talk about them, otherwise you jeopardize <laughs> jeopardize the deal. Um, so, what does the news flow look like for the next kind of quarter, the next um, until, until the middle of the next CSA? Yeah, I think uh, you can look at over the last six months and get an indication for the next uh, six to twelve. And the last six months, you've heard uh, our assets re-rating from a new operator in SSR mining coming in on Hot Modern, which is fantastic for people who aren't familiar. SSR is now the operator of Hot Modern. They delivered on. Uh, projects in Turkey, which are adjacent to our project, and the entire team is now pivoted um, to Hot Modern, and so that's that will happen in the last six months. You've got uh, Oyutoboy, where they've actually done the draw bells and started underground mining, and so now they're progressing towards the portion that we have our um, finance carried interest on, and so the next six months, I hope to to see that you know SSR has made a construction decision, the project financing is is moved along. Um, and also more good news coming out of OU Tolgoy. And in the background, you've got your anchor asset of Antimina just, just cash flowing, yeah. and we're using all that cash flow to just pay off the debt, because like you said, in the scenario you don't do anything, more of that equity is accreting to the, um, to the, to the equity holders, or more of that enterprise value is accreting to equity holders. Okay, let's, let's stress test it a bit more, because that's what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the world's going to hell in a hand basket, China's collapsing, copper prices are falling, we can all look out the long distance and say, we know that we need more copper. That's fine, I get, I get that. 27, 2027 onwards, shortage of copper. We've got a few years to navigate before then and yeah. um, everything's crashing around us, around our ears. Um, how low does copper go? The answer is, I don't know. Um, but you could see it retrench around levels uh, below 350. That's certainly possible. Yeah. Uh, I think there's two factors in play. There's the actual supply and demand of actually inventories where yeah. people play on, um, on the margin of actually warrants getting settled and actually delivery. Um, and then there's the financial engineering that happens to have on that yeah. people are familiar with that has outsized influence. That can fluctuate for a period of time, let's say six months or so, before it can rebalance back to the supply and demand. And I don't think there's anyone out there, realistically, when they layer all the things on, that they go, in a few years' time, copper is going to be in a supply as opposed to deficit. So, so I mean, just to be clear, we're at three sixty at the moment. So, three fifties, you know, it's, I mean, even if it goes below that, so it's got like a five percent drop at maximum. It's got what you're talking about. Like a ten percent drop would be down to no. So, sorry, I mentioned the short run right now, okay. three fifty, but it, it certainly could go down to three twenty. There's some resistance points, as you know, where once it does yeah. break, you've got some liquidations, but you'll always have some support level because. It's actually needed as a commodity for flesh for yeah, movement, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I try not to pro, um, procrastinate on like, where the commodity price yeah. is because I just don't know. Oh, it's so tough. I've been a commodity analyst, and it's a dangerous game. Yeah, and so and so you realize like there's so many world events that are happening in the background. Yeah. But I look at copper and I go, okay, I think everyone understands the deficit scenario. I think some things they might not fully appreciate is, you know, recycling and how that might play into it, innovation. And so we've layered on a bunch of that into our analysis of 
where are the the potential um, movements in um, reducing demand and increasing supply as a result of it? And even under all those scenarios, you just still have a deficit. You can't yeah. you can't innovate your way out of it. You can't suddenly copper goes to a massive you know price and a jump. It's not like these mines suddenly get built. For example, Hotmon, an interest that we have in our portfolio, was discovered in the last you know ten years, and it won Discovery of the Year like outrageous grades and it's about to go into production in a couple of years so you're looking at a project that from discovery to actual production is about a decade just a little over and that's one of the best you know yeah. comparable projects discovered yeah. in the last decade yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the things I, I always come back to is the maturity of the copper industry and the inelasticity of copper supply because it's a mature industry it's been you know, it comes from the word cypress you know, I mean, mm. it's been mined all the good stuff been mined over the last eight, nine, ten thousand years and so when you want to bring something new into the market it um, takes a lot of engineering and a lot of um, effort to get the what is now relatively low grade to the marketplace so it takes time. It does and there was a bank, uh, BMO I, I believe came out in the last six months they came out with a report and they looked at uh, copper projects that had been built over the last decade and I think they said close to 60 percent of those projects wouldn't have been built in this price environment today because of the capex yeah. or there just wouldn't be returns so that just give you the context of and those aren't necessarily very low grade these are some of the, the well-known projects out there um and so that just gives you some context for the challenges that we face as an industry getting the amount of copper the world needs just to meet gdp let alone the electrification votes that we have i think we're in violent agreement here so yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, let's um, just just to wrap up. Would you describe yourself as a kind of defensive copper play? I don't like to pigeon ourselves. I think that if you believe in copper, we are very attractive in the sense that we provide tremendous amount of torques. We've got amazing assets, and they're run by amazing partners. And what's great about that in an environment where commodity prices are a little bit lower is you get the protection of those quality assets run by good operators. It's not like Antimina isn't going to send a check over to us. It's not like they have the ability to even ask for cash for us to suddenly put into the capital. So that, I think in this environment, people are realizing there's a lot of uh, value to it. And um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful story that uh, will continue to advance and grow over the next uh, six, 12 months. Well, thanks for coming in and good luck. Brilliant, thanks. Appreciate it.